Hi, folks. Welcome to a very special episode of Be Healthistic. Recently, my dad and I did a Facebook Live Ask the Doctors event to answer the questions that our audience had about stress and health. We're sharing that here so you can get all the benefits of this valuable information. Let us know what you think about this Q&A by sending us an email at podcasts at healthydirections.com. If you like it, we'll make sure we do more of these and invite you to ask your questions. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Dr. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this live Facebook event with my father and I. It's the Ask the Doctor series, where you submit your questions and we provide some answers for you. Uh, today's topic is going to be all about maintaining a healthy mind, body, and spirit during this unprecedented time. And we're going to be talking about all sorts of things today, from immune health to cardiovascular health, uh, to certain foods you can eat to help support your immune system during this season. So lots we're going to be discussing here. Now, Dad, uh, we've had lots of uh, questions about immune health during the winter months coming up. Uh, what are your go-tos for supporting the immune system? Well, if you look at diet, um, you know, foods, I'm a big proponent of onions, again, because of the quercetin factor. And the quercetin is, uh, even in the news these days, it's incredible. Uh, certainly garlic. Remember during World War II, uh, you know, garlic was Russian penicillin. I mean, it, it right. kills bacteria, viruses, microbes, uh, even parasites. So I, I would say choosing foods like avocados, artichoke, artichoke supports liver function. Um, and then there's a whole host of supplements you can use to support immune function, whether it's vitamin C, ashwagandha, uh, you know, uh, vitamin D. We've, we've had, uh, you know, talks on vitamin D, omega-3 essential fatty acids. So the list goes on and on. But the key here is no, well, less sugar, less sugar. Yep. We're all in agreement about that. Um, foods to support the immune system, and targeted nutritional supplements to also support the immune system. Because I have to tell you, um, after studying this COVID and, you know, the immune system situation over the last, oh my gosh, six or seven months, it looks like that um, the immune system is the key right here. I mean, let's face it. Why are the elderly and compromised people, whether it's cancer, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, why are these people the first to succumb to viruses, whether it's, you know, a SARS virus or, you know, a Coxsackie virus or any virus? Mm -hmm. It's because their immune system is compromised. Yes. So the key going forward is to support the immune system. Yeah. And, and Dad, I want to echo exactly what you said there with all the supplements and everything. And I don't want us to forget either about the, the basics of just immune health, which is like proper sleep, right? Um, a clean diet. It's exercising, doing some form of you know stress reduction practice in your life, because all these pillars, so to speak, are really going to help support your overall health and your immune health. So I think sometimes people like to, you know, reach for the vitamin C or the vitamin D, but also like there's things just right now you can do, which is like go for a walk in the woods or making sure you get a good night's sleep to make sure your immune system is primed up and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're really big on walking in the woods. I mean, you're a wilderness guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really good. You know, Drew, another thing I want to mention is that, I mean, you know, I've been a CoQ10 guy for like 30, almost 40 years. Yes. And um, I have to prepare a lecture for the A4M. I have to actually submit my slides this Friday. And uh, the literature on coenzyme Q10 is, is exploding. I mean, exploding. Endothelial cell dysfunction 
is one of the parameters where, you know, the the ACE2 receptor uh, locks in with the virus and, and blah, blah, blah. But of course, it's endothelial cell dysfunction. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything breaks down. You get clotting in the lung and, and you get clots in the brain and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the best supplements, the best supplement is coenzyme Q10 in supporting endothelial cell function. I mean, think about that. It makes so, sense. And, you know, I got 40 years of experience in it. And uh, and again, you know, uh, while I'm preparing for this lecture, I am amazed. I am absolutely amazed at the, all the literature, the double-blind trials going on on coen, coenzyme Q10, e- even as we talk right now. And, Dad, is there, a, is there an age group that you recommend people start taking CoQ10 at? I'm just curious. Well, I gave it to you as a young child, uh, but, but I would say, uh, you know, uh, I would say I from 20, yeah, 20 years old and on up. I mean, okay. uh, you know, one thing about CoQ10, the younger you are, the more you make of it in the body. Uh, it's only when you get uh, into the uh, 80s. And, you know, I had a discussion with Carl Fokers. I don't know if you know who Carl Fokers was. Of course, he was the yeah. father of Coenzyme Q10. Yeah. In fact, um, I, pre- I gave him the, the affinity award in front of an audience of 5,000 at the A4M meeting about, you know, 20 years ago. And, um, you know, Coenzyme Q10 is one of those miracle nutrients that just supports everything in the body. But the problem is, the problem is, as we age, it, it's not made effectively in the body. And I remember talking to Fol- Folkers. I couldn't understand why more women had heart failure in the eighth, eighth decade of life than men. I couldn't figure that out as a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. So I asked him. And he said to me, and we're on the telephone, he goes, you should know the answer to that question. You're a board-certified cardiologist. How dare you? You are, you know... You should know that answer. And I said, unfortunately, Dr. Folkless, I don't. You know what he said to me? He said, a woman's liver does not make coenzyme Q10 efficiently when she's 80, as opposed to a man's liver. That's why there's more heart failure in women. He he spit that out like it was nothing. And I said, okay, I got it. You know what I mean? Oh, it's amazing. That's great. So anyway, for any women listening who are 80 and above, coenzyme Q10 is a must for you. Well, this kind of leads into our next question, Dad, which uh, a lot of people are asking about blood pressure and how their blood pressure is higher these days because of stress. We know that CoQ10 can have a little bit of a mild effect on lowering blood pressure. What are you recommending for people during these times of high stress and it affecting their blood pressure? Well, the most important thing that I can say is that uh, when you're under stress, you know, your autonomic system is autonomic nervous system is going to discharge a lot of adrenaline, noradrenaline. Uh, it's going to cause, you know, blood pressure to go up, heart rate possibly to go up. It's going to it may create fear and panic, which are very undesirable uh, emotions to have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going forward, um, I think the best thing is to have your feelings. In other words, if you're feeling depressed, which we all a lot of us are because, you know, we're indoors, we can't go outside. Uh, you know, now mandates may come in, you know, a national mandate on the mask or, you know, not going to restaurant. I mean, it's got, it, it could get worse before it gets better. Yeah. So my plea to our listeners is whatever emotion you're feeling, just feel it. If it's anger, get angry. Don't go into rage, though. Rage is uncontrolled anger. You can do that is not OK. But having your anger out and and, and the opposite of anger is sadness. So I would tell our listeners that if you're depressed, cry it out. Please cry. Have your emotions out. It's better having the emotion out than stifling the emotion and having a stroke or a heart attack. And that's what we're seeing right now during, you know, these situations, whether it's wartime or whether it's, you know, social unrest or whatever it is. You know, um, when unemployment goes up, for example, we get more heart attacks. I mean, more depression. So. My plea here is have the emotions out. It's very, very important to experience the emotion. Don't stifle it because then it can go to the heart or the central nervous system and that can cause injury. Yeah. And I think we'll get into this later too, dad, during this, the show today. And that's, um, you got to work on things in your life that are, uh, bringing in lots of stress, whether it is watching the news and seeing how many new cases there are and all these new mandates that might be put in it's, uh, it's fear inducing. And what I've been telling my patients lately is to, to take a break. Take a break from listening to the media, watching the media, being on, uh, you know, Facebook and such, where you're just hearing all this negative stuff and you're seeing lots of fighting between your your friends and such. And, um, you know, spend the time with yourself. And it's like if you want to do more self-care, 
now is the time to do it. I mean, this is the time to really focus on your health like you've never focused on it before, whether that is your mental health, right? Whether it is sort of like working through the depression and the anxiety that you're feeling, whether it's the extra pounds that you may have put on during coronavirus time, uh, whether it's a condition that you've had like diabetes or cardiovascular disease, right? I mean, we've been talking about this for the last eight months. There's no better time than now to start working on these things, right? To like to boost your body up, to, to put your body in a better state. So, exactly. you yeah. know, it's just, you know, and, and uh, I interviewed uh, Dr. Hartstein on, on Friday for a, a podcast and we were talking all about self-care and how that should not be a selfish thing that people do. If you want to go out and take a walk in the woods with you know one of your good friends and tell them exactly how you're feeling about how angry you are, or how depressed you are, do that. That is not a selfish thing to go out and spend time, you know, with yourself and with a friend of yours or whoever it may be to get stuff off your chest, like you were saying, because these emotions can be so toxic for your body. Absolutely. And Drew, the most important thing is telling the truth. And mm-hmm. you mentioned it when you when you're with a friend or if you're with a spouse or if you have a, you know, you're communicating with a child, always tell the truth. When you tell the truth, the autonomic nervous system knows it's the truth and mm. you won't get a blip. In other words, the only people that I know that can uh, defy a lie detector test are psychopaths who actually believe their own lies. <laughs> right. But, you know, telling the truth is so important, especially in the pandemic like this. And remember this. Yeah. Remember this. Life is full of risks. I mean, you know, as a heart specialist, I can tell you that life is full of risks and we're in a pandemic right now. And, um, uh, you know, I remember uh, talking to, uh, you know, uh, Raj Chopra uh, from Tishcon. Uh, He's been indoors for eight months. Uh, And the reason being, um, you know, he is he's got uh, he's he's compromised uh, with his immune system. And he and he's he's just had his 80th birthday. And uh, he's a brilliant, you know, pharmacologist. There's no doubt about it. And and the reason why he's staying indoors is because, you know, he's afraid of getting the virus. Yeah. Now, the counterpart of that is, you know, he's 80. He has to take care of himself. He, he knows his comorbidities. He, he, he knows where he lies. But again, let's go back five, six decades. You know, getting outdoors is important and basically assuming some risk. It's okay. And that, and that's what I want to get to our uh, uh, viewers. Uh, you can fortify your immune system and still take some risks at the same time. Life is full of risks. As a heart specialist, I could, you, I could, you'd take that one to the bank. But again, if you lock yourself up in jail, you know, and wearing a mask all the time and, 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 and basically not going anywhere, uh, you're not really living. Yeah, that's, I think that's like, the, the biggest thing I've heard all day. I mean, that's huge right there, what you just said, because I'm, I'm so on board with that because I do feel that too many people are living in fear these days, right? They're, they're just, oh, yeah. they're, they're letting fear dominate them. And um, you got to live your life. You really have to live your life. And I've, I've seen, I've heard all these stories of people that have not left their homes in eight months. And I feel like that's tragic. That's absolutely tragic. You know, I mean, you can you can be very safe by going outside and walking around. We'll probably come and circle back around to kind of these things we're talking about right now. But uh, I wanted to get to, you know, a listener question that's asked all the time. And I, I mean, I've heard you speak about this probably two dozen times in my life, but I always like that you, uh, you know, say it again over and over again so that we all remember. And that's about statins, dad. And when are statins most effective in people? I mean, what age group are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about primary prevention, secondary prevention? Let's go over really when statins work the best. Well, you know, I, I, I wrote the book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, with Johnny Bowden. I spent years uh, writing the book, studying statins for 20 or 30 years beforehand. Remember, I was a choir boy on statins. I, I used to speak for American Pfizer, you know, 25 years ago. I really believed in statins when they first came out until I until um, I had to do an editorial for a journal. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they asked me to write this editorial. And I looked at statins from both sides, you know, the, 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 uh, the dangerous side and the supportive side. But look, here's the bottom line. Statins are cholesterol killers. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that cholesterol is the prime factor in, you know, orthosclerosis. I think sugar is. I mean, sugar is the enemy. Cholesterol is not. Now, there's a small particle of cholesterol. We call it LP little a. This is a very, very small particle. It's very inflammatory. It's also thrombogenic, meaning that it causes blood clotting. And this particle 
uh, is really the real cholesterol story. The problem is, is that statins can make it worse because it's a very, very small particle. Now, do statins have any play in prevention? Uh, or do they have play if you suppose you're a 45 year old guy and you've, and you've had a heart attack or suppose you're 50 and you had a family history of sudden death and a young father or mother. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have a little coronary calcification. You have some risk factors. Will a low dose statin help a, an, an aging male? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not for cholesterol lowering, Drew. Remember, statins have pleiotropic effects. Yeah. They can thin the blood, for example, and blood. And look, in this day and age of uh, infections and EMF and Wi-Fi, et cetera, we have red ketchup blood. We got to make our blood thinner. We got to make it more like red wine, so to speak. And that's what statins do. It has an antithrombotic effect, a blood thinning effect, and that, this antioxidant effect. So if you're a male with young male with coronary artery disease, I like a low dose statin with a lot of coenzyme Q10 you know, to support the side effects. And, and when you're saying low dose, dad, is that really kind of like, you know, half a typical dose of, you know, Lipitor or something 10 like milligrams, that? five to 10 milligrams, not 40 to 80 milligrams, like a lot of my colleagues use, but five to 10 milligrams is more than enough when it comes to a statin. And the great thing about that is you still get the potential uh, positive effects, but you don't get the amount of side effects as you would with a higher dose. Correct. Absolutely. And again, always chase it with coenzyme Q10, because remember, coenzyme Q10 shares the same biochemical pathway as cholesterol. So if you knock out cholesterol, you're driving coenzyme Q10 levels even lower. And, and Dad, with females versus males here, what's, what's the difference there in terms of statin recommendations? I'm not a big fan of statins in females. I've just seen uh, too many side effects and there's way more side effects uh, in, the, in the female as opposed to the male. That's why gender-specific medicine when it comes to cardiovascular disease is gonna be very important within the next decade. Um, but if you're a woman who has progressive coronary artery disease, you've had angioplasty, a stent put in, you had bypass surgery, you had a re-bypass, you, had, you still have high inflammatory cholesterol, I, I would use a low dose statin in those in that situation, especially if she's going downhill, despite any other therapeutic maneuvers, you know, a healthy diet, less sugars, you know, more antioxidants, more CoQ10, more omega-3s, and she's still going downhill, then I would use a low dose statin. Great. Dad, have you seen anything else uh, mitigate the effects of muscle pain or that muscle weakness that people get with statins? Is there anything that you've used before? that would help with that? Or do you really just lower the dose? And if that doesn't help with it, well, then you maybe statins just aren't for this person. Uh, yeah, I lower the dose and I certainly give uh, omega-3s as an anti-inflammatory and magnesium. I found that magnesium uh, helps uh, many, of the, many of the musculoskeletal side effects that statins pose. And it's interesting, most people, most people are deficient in magnesium anyway. So it makes sense. I take magnesium every day. And I'll tell you, when I fly fish or when, I, when I'm work, walking in the surf or I'm walking the beach, you know, for exercise, I always uh, take extra magnesium. And I also like D-ribose as well, because in my age group, muscle cramping, you know, c- uh, can be problematic. And, 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 those, two, and, and those two supplements uh, actually ease, you know, uh, you know the, not only the vasculature, but the, but the uh, vasospasm and also the muscular spasm you get uh, with, uh, you know, s- either over-exercise or sometimes simple walking. Yeah, okay. Well, let's uh, let's take some uh, questions here from our audience. Uh, this is from Eileen Waits. What are the best vitamins and herbs that you can take for a healthy heart if you have a pacemaker? Well, if you have a pacemaker, you know, that's, that's not going to make much of a difference. Uh, I mean, certainly I like the awesome foursome, you know, in, in anybody with any cardiac condition. And, and, mm-hmm. and just to review the awesome foursome, it's D-ribose, uh, uh, D-ribose, coenzyme Q10, magnesium, and carnitine. carnitine yeah. um, now, you know, carnitine uh, is something you can take less of. Uh, re- remember this, there's very few foods that contain carnitine. And the body makes carnitine. Our kidneys make carnitine, right? But, you know, um, if you eat a lot of lamb, for example, or a lot of beef, you'll probably get sufficient quantities of carnitine. But if you're a vegetarian, you're not going to get the carnitine. Um, Same thing is true of coenzyme Q10. Vegetarians characteristically have low coenzyme Q10 levels in their bloodstream. And I've tested this in, uh, I mean, when I was practicing cardiology on a day-to-day basis, seeing you know 40 to 60 patients a day, and a lot of these patients were on CoQ10. Drew, I tested 
hundreds and hundreds of their bloods, you know, looking at CoQ10 blood levels. I mean, I was sending these bloods out and this is like 20 years ago. And I have to tell you, I was amazed about how many people had low blood levels of coenzyme Q10. And when I look at the literature now showing that more cancers, more heart disease uh, is being incriminated because of low levels of this precious nutrient, uh, you know, it gets me thinking into my mind that th this nutrient needs to be uh, supplemented, especially in this day and age, by just about anyone over the age of 20. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, well, here's a question. Uh, this is from Asa Raf. My family stays quarantined except to exercise outdoors and purchase groceries about once a week. Of course, masked. Still, my anxiety is pretty high. A little help. Well, yeah, I think we answered that question. I think that, we did. you know, uh, again, I, I think you got to give yourself a little more freedom. You really do. I mean, when it comes to social isolation, mass, not getting out of the house, remember your Achilles heel on this is your rigidity. If you become sold on this and you become very rigid in your ways and you're following this to the key, you don't want to be self-destructive uh, while trying to be productive. Yeah. And I'll say this too, dad. I, I, you know, if, if Asa was right in front of me, I would, I would ask her, you know, what is your anxiety about? What is it? The fear that you're experiencing? Is it the fear of getting COVID? Is it the fear of having something happen to your body post COVID? Is it um, bringing COVID to another family member of yours, right? Perhaps you've got an older parent or a grandparent or something like that. I mean, those are all valid concerns, of course, but like you said, I mean, there has to be some level of freedom here in your life because, it, you know, if you're if you're quarantining yourself when you're not sick, that to me isn't isn't right. I mean, um, you know, you're supposed to quarantine the ill. That's traditionally how we've done exactly. it. Exactly. We've quarantined the ill. We have not quarantined the the healthy ones. And so there comes a time and a place for this. Um, but I see too many people living uh, in fear these days and, and, and staying way too many hours in their home without getting outdoors and. And uh, I, I feel like it's um, it's not good. It's not good long term. It's not good short term either. Yeah, Drew, let, let me say it this way. I mean, um, you know, I've been a board certified cardiologist for almost 50 years and uh, I've seen epidemics come and go. Flu like illnesses in my 30s, 40s, 50s. And I'll never forget it. And I mentioned this before on, broad on broadcasts. When any flu comes in to this country, the, the influenza season, people do die. And, they, and, you know, influenza can cause myocarditis, which means inflammation of the heart. And I've, I have seen people on ventilators, on respirators, uh, on oxygen therapy. I've seen people, you know, develop heart failure from these respiratory viruses. And they've been here for decades. Will they get worse? Probably. Uh, probably because, you know, there's so many people doing experiments with man-made viruses and, you know, accidents may happen in laboratories and, and, and certainly, you know, any, any of these situations can occur. But viruses are here. And uh, if we look at the COVID virus, who's it affecting? It's affecting people in the 80 and above age group. Exactly. Where your immune system is in decline and all these comorbidities, whether it's heart failure, high blood pressure, diabetes, overweight status, you know, a cancer, and the list goes on and on and on. So social isolation is important for the people who have the more comorbidities and the aging. Uh, this is where the social isolation uh, may offer some protection. Will it yeah. offer protection for a 10-year-old child? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, one more thing, Dad, before we leave this this topic here, because I do feel like it's such an important uh, topic these days, is uh, I would recommend that people look into the Great Barrington Declaration. This was written in early October by many different Oxford and Harvard uh, and Yale scientists and researchers and PhDs. And, uh, you know, our, our colleague, Dr. David Katz, we've had on the podcast before, was one of the original signers of this declaration. And what it talks about is we need to take a very... Uh, systematic approach to how we protect the elderly and the immunocompromised and those that are more susceptible, like you were saying, 80 plus in getting really sick and perhaps dying from this virus. And instead of us shutting down the economy over and over and over again, which is affecting, you know, generations ahead of us, right? We focus on certain tactics to help protect those that are, that are most immunocompromised. All right, moving on. Now we're going to take some live questions here from our audience. Let's see what we have here. 
Um, this is from Kathy Lamadam. Now that I don't have to get up and go into the office, I find myself not moving as much, bed to office to kitchen, and the darkness of 5 p.m. doesn't help. Do you have any favorite exercises or activities to keep me strong and healthy? Well, Lots we can, yeah. I mean, a lot of things you could do on that. I mean, um, you know, I think I think walking uh, is the best form of exercise. I mean, I, I remember I had Tony Little up in my hospital about 25 years ago. And, right. and actually, you met Tony, you know. I remember them, yeah. And, you know, I took him to the cardiac rehab center and stuff like that. And uh, he asked me because, you know, he was a big exercise guy and I had a lot of machines and, you know, and, and weights and stuff like that. But he asked me, you know, what the best forms of exercise were. And I said dancing and walking, hands mm -hmm. down. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I would say, Kathy, you know, turn the music on in your home and, you know, do a little dancing, move your hips, you know, move your legs, move your arms, you know, you know, do little Tai Chi exercises, you know, mold the energy, you know, form the energy, push the energy out, bring it into your heart. There's so many things you can do. And, and again, if, you know, if these young kids in the house and I, I saw a little video you did, you know, dancing with the kids on a little Get them involved. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and then again, you can you can turn this, um, you know, pandemic into a reframe, you know, and and show your kids that you're not in fear and you're, and you're dancing on your trampoline or you're or you're doing some exercises in the home or you're going out for a walk. You know, when I was living in Florida. You know, a few weeks ago, people were riding bicycles in my neighborhood like it was crazy. I mean, I've never seen so many bicycles. What a great reframe. Absolutely. Bicycle riding is a great reframe, you know, of getting outdoors. And, uh, uh, you know, but again, that's Florida. Kathy's living in Washington right now where it's a little <laughs> a little bit colder. But again, I'm, I'm in New England right now and I'm going out for walks, although I'm, I have to quarantine because I just came up in Florida. But still, you know. I'm walking around the yard and stuff like that and raking the leaves and, you know, playing with the cars and having fun. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'll add to that, Kathy, that um, I've been doing this online yoga program. It's called Glow. I have no affiliation with them or anything, but uh, I found them online. And what I like about this program is that you can do yoga, you can do fitness classes, you can do Pilates. They have meditation exercises on there. And uh, you can set your time limit. You can even do like a five minute, a 10 minute, a 15, 20, 30, 45, 60, or even longer minute session. So you get to choose what time frame you want to use for that and also what program you want to use, whether it's Pilates or meditation. So I wake up around seven and I'll do typically like a half an hour yoga or uh, Pilates thing before my kids wake up. And that to me is just great because you just set the day straight right there with getting some exercise, moving your body around. And then if you've got a five, 10 minute break in the middle of the day, set it up again and do some quick exercises where you work on your shoulders, your neck, your lower body. And um, I feel like that's just a great way to move your body. Yeah. All right, let's take another question here. Uh, this is from Paula. My dad's recovering from COVID right now. I was glad to see her recommended vitamin C and D for him, but she only recommended 2000 IU. I thought that that was too low. Okay, what, what Paul is saying here is that I, I'm, I'm assuming that her doctor recommended vitamin C and vitamin D, but they were a little bit on the lower end of normal at 2,000 IUs. Yeah, you know, Drew, at least 2,000 IUs of, of vitamin D is, is something. I mean, um, I, I would recommend up to five a day, and uh, I don't think people will get into trouble, uh, especially with the winter months coming on. Yeah. So, I mean, I take five 5,000 a day. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're really concerned about your vitamin D level, uh, if you've been on like vitamin D supplementation for a long time, you, you can certainly get a blood level. Yeah, well said. All right, let's get another question here from our audience. Uh, this is from Jeff. I'm finding myself stress eating more than ever during the pandemic, and I'm worried about putting back on unhealthy weight. Any thoughts on what I should eat that is healthy and maybe lower my stress levels? Well, I would tell Jeff, you know, again, um, you know, more fruits and vegetables, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, any 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 vegetable uh, at this time would, would be good. And, and remember, a lot of these vegetables have phytochemicals or phytonutrients in them that help fight viruses. You know, again, we talked about onions and garlic, you know, avocados, I think, are fantastic artichokes for the liver. I mean, I, these are things that I tend to eat every day, you know, and uh, I, I think it's really important. Uh, the worst thing that I think people are putting into their mouths right now is sugar. And, you know, these Absolutely. carbohydrates, you know, dense carbohydrate meals, uh, are, 
you know, carbohydrates are transferred to sugar. And remember, if the sugar is not metabolized efficiently, if, if you're locked indoors, you can't see if you're outside, if, if, if you have a high carbohydrate meal and if you go for a walk, right, that exercise of a walk is going to when that sugar is, is converted with insulin, it gets mm-hmm. driven into the cell because the exercise helps the insulin drive the sugar into the cell. But if you're stuck at home and you're not doing anything, you're sort of a zombie and you're going from bed to share or you're going to the TV, you're reading a book, you're not exercising. So you're not driving the insulin into that cell or that sugar into that cell. And what happens is the excess calories are not burned because you're not exercising. Guess what happens? They're stored as fat. So I would tell Jeff, less sugar, a little more exercise, a little more healthier eating, less carbohydrate. Yeah, and if there was one particular diet that I'd recommend that, it'd be something like a paleo type diet to Jeff, because I feel like in times like this, higher protein can be uh, can, can be a little bit more helpful, not only in the sense of it'll help satiate you and get you full, but also because when you have uh, protein, it supports your adrenal glands and your whole you know HPA functions uh, function, sorry HPA axis function. And when you do that, you're going to support your blood sugars even better, too, because your, your adrenals are inherently involved in blood sugar regulation. So I do recommend during these times to kind of reach for a little bit of a higher protein food. I mean, if you're into meat, you can do that, of course. Um, there's certain snacks you can make that have high protein in them. And stay away from the really higher carbohydrate, higher sugar foods, which are ultimately, like my dad said, going to lead to uh, more um, insulin production and, and you know weight gain and all that. So higher protein, medium fat lower carb. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we have another question here from our audience. Uh, This is from Corinne. Please, what's the best thing for ARVD cardiomyopathy? Here in London, the cardiologists are not helping. ARVD. I'm trying to think what uh, ARVD cardiomyopathy. I'm I'm, going to look that one up, Dad. (laughs) Uh, That's an acronym I haven't heard before. Huh. A rare form of cardiomyopathy in which the heart muscle of the right ventricle is replaced oh. by fat or or by fibrous tissue. Oh, oh it's, it's um it's it's arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. Boy, I'll tell you, I have never seen that before as a as a heart specialist, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it happens. It's probably very rare. Um, you know, again, I mean, things that I would use in any type of cardiomyopathy would be the awesome foursome, including ribose, magnesium, CoQ10. Uh, you know, you know low-dose carnitine. I mean, um, I just feel in any muscle where, where you have the muscle involved of the heart, um, remember this, Drew, the awesome foursome is driving um, our stem cells in a preferential direction. I firmly believe this. Uh, and, and it's come out of the stem cell revolution because I've had so many patients with, quote, dead hearts from massive heart attacks, even my pediatric co- population who, uh, I mean, Drew, I've had patients come in uh, with their children and they're crying in my office and uh, they can't find heart transplants for these for, for their for their children. And I, I tell you, I've had so many saves. And, you know, when if people you know dispute this, they can always go to Amazon.com and, and look up my book on metabolic cardiology and look at the testimonials from all these people who had heart failure and people looking for hearts where they, they couldn't find a heart. But they went on the awesome foursome and they had a resurrection in their life. This gives me great joy because something is working here, and I believe it's through the exosomes, the, the, the messages of the body that are talking to our intrinsic stem cells, and we're actually resurrecting new heart cells. And that came out of the nuclear testing of, of the atomic bombs, where we can tell the age with, through carbon-14 testing, the age of our cells. Remember, we replace our mucous membranes you know, in our nose every two to three days. Uh, our GI tract every 24 to 72 hours. Our red blood cells are replaced every 120 days. So why can't we replace heart cells? Exactly. We can. We can. We replace liver cells. We replace them all. All people have to do is basically believe, first of all, have, you know, make sure the belief is up here and support your body with good nutritional supports and a healthy diet going forward. Well, Dad, I, I didn't know about that uh, potential to, to increase the body's own production of stem cells there, or at least oh, yeah. push them yeah. in that direction. That's, that's great. Yeah, read okay. the article in Science. Uh, okay. It was in 2009 about stem cell renewal. And uh, when the New England Journal came out with an editorial on this and it was favorable, I was absolutely shocked, you know, because usually the New England Journal is very, very conservative. 
And uh, when the editorial was favorable, then the same group of researchers out of Sweden recapitulated their data in a 2018 publication, which came out like nine years later, which documented what they first reproduced nine years before. So um, I think the awesome foursome is re rejuvenating or our, our own intrinsic stem cells to build new tissue into our heart cells. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's take another question here from our audience. Uh, this is from Nisha. What can you do to keep cholesterol at bay when you're breastfeeding? Interesting. Uh, interesting question. Um, first of all, I don't mind young children getting cholesterol. Cholesterol does a lot of good things for the body. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if she's worried about transferring, you know, in, in the mother's milk, uh, mother's milk has a lot of good stuff to it. I mean, uh, I, I like mother's milk, but remember the mother, the mother, if she is going to breastfeed, needs to detoxify her body because what's good in mother's milk is equally as bad because a lot of toxins that the mother takes in can be concentrated in breast milk as well. Yeah. So breast milk can be a double-edged sword, but if the mother does some detoxification prior to breastfeeding her body, uh, at least the breast milk will be uh, certainly even much, much better than it normally is. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's see here for another question. This is from Elaine. What is the maximum of CoQ10 one can take? For me, CoQ10, it has been paradise. I take 300 milligrams and adding pomegranate extract brought my uh, high, blood pressure. Oh, high blood pressure to yeah. equilibrium. So what do you think, Dad, about that in terms of CoQ10 as a high dose? Yeah, I mean, 300 milligrams is a good dose. Um, I mean, I, I, I take about 200 milligrams a day. I mean, I, I, I don't have any high blood pressure or any, you know, illnesses that I know I know about. Uh, but just because of my age, I take 200 milligrams. 300 milligrams is fine. And the research on the CoQ10 and high blood pressure is still solid. So, um, and I do like pomegranate. You know, pomegranate is an interesting nutraceutical. Uh, you know, it can prevent the oxidation of LDL. You know, you can get a little plaque regression with pomegranate. You know, I, I've seen that. So, like, um, uh, I'm a big fan of, of pomegranate, uh, and I, I, I take it myself sometimes. I also like beet juice. I'm a big fan of beet juice because of the nitric oxide. Nitric oxide. oxide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dad, the season right now for pomegranates is in. So those of you listening that you want to eat some pomegranates, go out and buy some because they are delicious this year. Let me tell you. Uh, basically, every single night we open up a pomegranate and our kids, you know, they take their, their shirts off. We go to the dinner table and we all eat pomegranate for about half an hour. It's awesome. Okay, this is from John Murphy. What do you think of nitric oxide supplements? Well, there we go. Leading yeah. in. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just moving in. Uh, <laughs> And we should tell our audience that this is totally by chance, by the way. Uh, yeah, you can take nitric oxide supplements. I mean, look, you can get nitric oxide in a lot of natural foods. I mean, uh, even migratory salmon, uh, you know, is a nice, uh, you know, can support nitric oxide. Uh, even astaxanthin, which is an incredible uh, antioxidant. But, um, you know, nitric oxide, you can get naturally in the diet. And, you know, if you want to eat a lot of beets, I mean, that's that's fine with me. I mean, and. And, 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 you know, foods that contain nitric oxide that are broken down into nitric oxide. I mean, uh, I'm all in. Uh, but remember this now. With, 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 <clears throat> there's no panaceas in medicine. Uh, years ago, there was some uh, articles that came out where uh, people were going against nitric oxide. I mean, that's the way it is in medicine. Uh, so yeah. it's not a panacea. Uh, you know, I mean, some of my colleagues, uh, you know, feel that, you know, overzealous use of nitric oxide could have a downside. Um, but but again, I mean, for now, if, if, if you want to take a little nit nitric oxide supplements or get it naturally from foods, that's OK with me. Got it. And Dad, I remember I remembered uh, the question I was going to ask you and, and it was reference to that CoQ10 question previously was that I remember studies back on CoQ10 and Parkinson's being around, is it 600 milligrams or 1,200 milligrams per day? Oh, higher, yeah. Actually, they, they were using it in Huntington's Korea. They were yes. using up to two grams of, uh, of uh, CoQ10. But in Parkinson's, uh, yeah, CoQ10, in fact, there's a paper. I, I just came across it, uh, you know, as I'm preparing this lecture for the mm -hmm. A4M. There was a nice paper on CoQ10 and Parkinson's disease. So, uh, you know, any neurodegenerative disease, uh, I would certainly take CoQ10. And if you want to go higher doses, uh, you know, three, 500 milligrams, 600, uh, certainly you can go higher. Okay. 
All right, let's post another question here from our audience. Uh, this is from Kathy. Ever since we turned back the clock and it's getting dark so much earlier now, I'm starting to experience SAD, which is seasonal affective disorder. And the pandemic situation isn't helping. What do you recommend to help combat this? Well, Kathy, I mean, um, you can always go to the hot lights of yesteryear. You know what I mean? The the the, the bright lights that you can bring into your house. And uh, uh, these are natural lighting where uh, you can look into a light for, you know, basically a half hour or so. Or, you know, while you're working on a computer, you can have a light shine on your face. Like I have a light here, but it just went on a blink. You know, you know my 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 video uh, lighting. I don't know why, but maybe I can show it in my in the uh, picture here. If I bring it down, see it's a it's a ring. Oh yeah, see, yep. see that? See that? Maybe I can turn it. Uh, basically, this is my um, media light, and it just went on the blink. Uh, but um, whenever I'm doing media and this light is on my face. Uh, I always say to myself, oh, I'm getting nice light energy. It's, I'm taking it in through the eyes, you know, yeah. you know, and and some people and uh, think about like, sun gazing, for example. Now, Kathy, what you can do is bef before if you can go out for a walk as the sun is going down, uh, you can just open your eyes and look into the sunlight as it's going down mm -hmm. uh, for only 30 seconds to a minute, you know, as the sun's going down, uh, that's sun gazing and that you're going to get some natural light that I think, even though it's a short term, uh, will help to uh, ameliorate sad. So yeah, exactly. I'm all in on that. And here, Kathy, if you can see mine here, I've got I've got my little happy light. Let's see if I can bring it into Oh, view. it's a happy light. That's happy the right. Light. Yeah, keep, keep coming, Drew. I can't see it. Yeah, you can see it. There it is. Oh, oh the happy is. light. That's what it is. Very bright, but I have it on right now. And I do this every single day for at least a half an hour, sometimes upwards of an hour. Well, well, Drew, where are you living uh, right now? What time is it getting dark? About four o'clock? Uh, too early. Yes, it gets dark a little too early these days. It's around four thirty. So, oh, okay. um, you know, I'm I'm certainly um, susceptible to getting sad in the wintertime, and I've been using this. I take high dose vitamin D, and for me, I'm currently taking ten thousand units a day. But I'm measuring my vitamin D, making sure that my calcium levels aren't too high. And I do live in a very, very, very rainy area uh, right now, which is uh, in the Vancouver, uh, Canada area. So 10,000 yeah. units per day is okay for me I'm, at this point. I'm glad you mentioned that. You yeah. know, what are the, some of the contraindications for taking very high dose vitamin D? Certainly, you know, renal insufficiency, renal failure. So mm -hmm. if have kidney disease, be, be careful, you know, yeah. talk to your doctor. And the other is, it's rare, but hyperparathyroidism. In other words, if you have an overactive uh, hyperparathyroid gland, yep. where you drive out of calcium, because uh, my wife Jan had that. She had a small adenoma. And we I remember that. Tampa Hospital and get it resected. So if, if, if you have high calcium, uh, uh, you know, from any cause, uh, certainly like a tumor, you know, you don't want to take, you know, high dose vitamin D at the same time. So I'm glad yeah, and it's, it's really a seasonal thing too. For me, I'm not going to take this high of a dose during the, the, you know, spring, summer and fall, but it's really the winter months that I, I will take this high of a dose. Now also for sad dad, what I like to recommend to people is that they get outside and get out into nature, whatever kind of exposure they can get. Even if it's raining out, like for instance, yesterday, pouring down rain, absolutely just pouring down rain. Our whole family went out to this little lake around us. And we walked around it and got completely soaked. But for that hour-long period, we were outdoors, and it felt great to breathe some fresh air and to feel the, the rain against your face. And getting outside, even when it is snowing or raining or it's just not great weather out, is really helpful for helping with SAD. Um, Kathy, of course, you probably know this, but exercise has been shown to really boost the mood, right? You can sort of boost certain neurotransmitters that way, and you can really feel good afterward. Those are like those endorphins that you get after exercise or make you feel good. So whether it's going to be exercise in your home or outside, I recommend doing it on a daily basis to help with that endorphin release uh, and your good mood. And then um, healthy eating, right? I mean, this goes back to everything we've been talking about today. It's like healthy sleep. It's healthy eating. It's, you know balancing out the amount of media that you're watching or the, you know, these emotions that you may be experiencing right now, whether it is anxiety or fear or anger. So everything that we talked about today actually goes into this question here, because really you need to be supporting all systems in the body when treating seasonal affective disorder. And, you know, we talk about the vitamin D, the lights, all that kind of stuff. Those all matter, of course, but really it's, it's everything that you're doing that's going to help with this as well. Hey, hey, Drew, you know, you just touched upon something that I think is important. Um, 
Remember when you were uh, like 10 years old and we took a canoe trip from uh, the tip of, uh, you know, the uh, Connecticut River up into Canada and we and we canoed down the Connecticut River and we fished various, you know, yeah. parts of the Connecticut River and you caught yeah. this huge fish, you know, uh, in, in Vermont and stuff like that. I mean, I think you are an outdoorsman. There's no doubt about it. You've done wilderness trainings. You've lived outdoors. Uh, you've done sweat lodges with the great grandson of Sitting Bull, Walking Bull. I mean, you've done all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you're such a blessing, you know, not, not only to me, because, you know, I, I think as a dad, I, I, I took you outdoors a lot, but you're doing it with your children. To bring your children into the rain and to show them that there's nothing wrong with the rain, you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. outdoors, you, and 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 that is good parenting because remember, children will follow what you do. Yeah. And uh, since you're taking them outdoors and you're taking them fishing and you're taking them camping and you're not afraid of the rain and stuff like that, your children are going to grow up with that inculcation of the of the of the information that you transferred to them because you did it and now they're going to do it and they're going to do it for their children as well. So good job, son. That's well, touching dad. It's touching as you say that. And hey, look, you'd be even more proud. Guess what we did uh, about four or five days ago. We went up to Whistler when it was snowing yeah. and I took the kids sledding. That's right? right. I mean, as a kid, that's all I did. I sledded that's in Vermont all, all the time. You sledded. So, <laughs> and I, I actually got on the sled and went down and uh, I realized I'm 40 years old. So it's a little different now, but uh, <laughs> anyhow, no, thanks for that. Well, let's see. Why don't we take a couple more questions here and uh, let's see where we're at here. Uh, this is from Rania. Uh, what should I do if CoQ10 gives me anxiety? Oh, great question. Take mm. less of it, uh, Rania. Take, just take less. In other words, remember this. CoQ10 is an energy-supporting phytonutrient. And um, what I found in, in my practice of cardiology is some patients couldn't take a standard 30 or a 60 or 100 milligram dose. It was too much for them. In other words, why don't you build up um, your CoQ10 blood level by eating more salmon, migratory salmon, for example, or, or, or more sardines, which are loaded with CoQ10, mm-hmm. or, or more animal product like beef, for example, or free-range bison or something like that. Because what I found is people who had low levels of CoQ10, and if I gave them a, a standard dose of CoQ10, they, some would get palpitations, some would have too much energy, some couldn't sleep, some would be jittery. So your question is well-placed. Just take maybe a 10 milligram dose if you can find it, or just eat foods that have a lot of CoQ10. I remember treating a rabbi, you know, 30 years ago. He was only 90 pounds and he had severe cardiomyopathy. And I could not give him a standard 30 milligram dose because he was saying to me, doctor, doctor, I'm jittery, I'm jittery, I can't sleep, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I treated him with Nova Scotia locks. And he he was awesome. And after six months where his wife fed him, you know, a, a diet more endowed with coenzyme Q10, I was able to put him on a supplement and he felt so much better and he didn't have the side effects of CoQ10. So thanks for asking that question because it's not only you, it, it happens to about 3% of the population taking CoQ10. And I wonder too, dad, if what, what if she were to take some magnesium or maybe some L-theanines from GABA, some CBD perhaps to help with that anxiety? I don't know if that would help. Any of that would help. Any of that yeah. would help. Curious. Do, do, do a little testing on your own. We'll say that. Okay, well, let's do one more question here from our audience. This is from Carol. Can 10,000 units of vitamin D raise your coronary calcium? Great question. And uh, at that level, if you are taking in a lot of extra calcium at the same time, remember the recommendations of doctors of yesteryear was that if you were a postmenopausal woman, it was 1,500 milligrams of calcium. If you were premenopausal, it was 1,000. That was all science, folks. That's all science. You don't need that much calcium. So if you're a woman of yesteryear taking in a lot of calcium and now you're doubling down or tripling down on vitamin D, yes, I have a feeling coronary calcium or coronary calcification of, the, of, of your smaller vessels in your heart could be problematic. So when it comes to calcium, less is more. You have to keep up with the science. And, you know, that was a science of, you know, five to 10 years ago, but it's not the science of today. And, and Dad, we have, sorry, one more question here about CoQ10 while we're on the subject. And it's uh, from Ian. Uh, I have read CoQ10 is difficult to absorb. Any tips on getting more into your cells? 
Well, the, the, the secret with CoQ10 is you take it with a meal. And uh, allegedly, the fat-soluble meals are good. Uh, in other words, um, you could take CoQ10 with olive oil, for example. Um, I have a lot of my colleagues uh, who take CoQ10 with a couple of tablespoons of olive oil because uh, of the pre-demet study, you know, showing that olive oil uh, helps to improve longevity, reduce heart disease, reduce cancer, reduce Parkinson's disease, reduce diabetes, et cetera. So I just feel that... Um, when it comes to coenzyme Q10, the ubiquinone, ubiquinol is a no-brainer. I mean, I, I, you know, either or is fine. Um, start with uh, uh, smaller doses. You can t- take in more fat to see if you can improve the blood level. And then, you know, always go on to how you're feeling. And if you're in doubt, you can always get a blood level and see where you lie. Okay, okay. Remember, the normal blood level is 0.6 UGs to about 0.8 UGs per ml. When it comes to heart failure, I like two and a half at least two and a half, which could be, you know, four to five times blood level. And how long does it take for blood levels to rise? Three weeks. Three Three weeks. weeks. Yeah, a a minimum of three weeks. Uh, After three to four weeks, you can uh, get a blood level and and see where you lie. Great. Okay. Well, Dad, this has just been an awesome Ask the Doctor series here. I, I had a lot of fun today. Did you? Oh yeah, this is this is great, you know. And like I said, I love talking about CoQ10, and and again, you know, uh, we're, we're doing this textbook in cardiology that's coming out in 2022, and uh, and like I said at the beginning of the show, these CoQ10 uh, articles are flooding the literature right now. It's just amazing. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. We loved all your questions, and um, we look forward to doing this again. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra, and this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.